This week's podcast brought to you by Waffle Mashers. This morning, the kids don't have school today. I was sitting in my home office staring uh, vacantly into the blank screen of my laptop, attempting to write something. And while I did that, our eight-year-old walked in with her Barbie doll laptop, a toy, and set it down next to mine, stood next to me as I sat in my office chair, and pretended to write a story. She said, the cowboy, type, 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 openly mocking me, the cowboy went to the city, type, 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 to eat in a fancy restaurant, type, type, type. Then she left the office, and I thought, I would read the hell out of that book. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Rebecca, tell the people what you bought this afternoon. I bought a bagel guillotine. A bagel guillotine. Yes, a bagel guillotine. That's the brand name, right? Yeah, that's the brand name of the bagel slicer. It's a bagel guillotine. And it looks like a guillotine. Just like. Just smaller. It made me wonder, are there other torture devices, medieval torture devices that um, pair with everyday breakfast foods. I guess the guillotine isn't so much a torture device. It's it's not designed to torture. It just ends one's life. Right. Yeah. I um, I don't know. Have you seen any other breakfast? Well, I, I just was hoping that I could buy like a, uh, a waffle iron maiden or a croissant cat o' nine tails. Um, well, why don't we put it into the Google and see if those things actually exist? Perhaps an English muffin pillory. What's a pillory? Something that you would use to torture an English muffin with. <laughs> okay. And if you're having steak and eggs, perhaps a steak and eggs steak. Okay. You could burn your steak and eggs at the steak. Are there more? There are not. I'm done. Okay. But I just thought it was a, a little brutal to have an, a bagel guillotine. Well, I almost didn't purchase it. It was the only thing I was getting it at, uh, at the store. And uh, we needed something to cut our bagels with because it's you know, so hard to cut them with a knife. And anyway, it? no, it's not at all. But I, I, I've been wanting one of these bagel slicers for a while. But anyway, it was the only thing I was purchasing. And I went to the checkout and the gentleman checking me out said, uh, have you shopped here before? Yes, I've shopped here before. Um, can I have your name? So I gave him my name and then uh, email, uh, zip code. So I gave him my zip code and then uh, email address. And I said, no, like, I just want to buy this thing. And uh, he said, well, you're not in the system. Would you like to be in the system and get a catalog four times a year? I said, no, I, I don't want to be in the system. Anyway, it was a total way to just collect my personal information and data. And I was, it, Are you as sure? I was leaving the store, I was wondering, do they do this for every purchase or just the guillotines? Of course, it's a five-day waiting period. Right. <laughs> it probably, probably would be, or perhaps should be. But um. Yeah, it was a bit frust a bit frustrating because all I wanted to do was, you know, make this a, a very quick transaction, and I don't think there's such a thing anymore. Everyone needs your email address and everything else. People who have no idea what you're talking about when you say it was a bit frustrating. I should explain that 20 years ago, 
on the tube in London, uh, my brother and I overheard a woman saying of some horrible incident that had happened, it was a bit frustrating. And I've always loved that understated, said with an English accent, and have since applied it to almost anything that was a complete fiasco. It was a bit frustrating. Well, it was a bit frustrating when I was trying to make my guillotine purchase and they needed to know my email address. If I may be the first one to use the bagel guillotine tomorrow morning, I just before pressing down and, and slicing that bagel in two, I'm going to say, let them eat pancakes. <laughs> Good heavens. Well, right before I, I had our kids in the car and right before we went over to get it, and they've heard me mention a couple times in the last few weeks um, that I wanted to get a bagel slicer. Uh, I said, oh, we're right near the store. I said, um, what do you think I'm going to get in there? And our eight-year-old quickly responded with a waffle masher. <laughs> a waffle masher? A waffle masher. I still don't know what a waffle masher is. We have a waffle maker. We have a masher for when we make, you know, mashed potatoes and stuff. But yes, a waffle masher, she asked gleefully. And I had to crush those hopes and say no. A bagel guillotine. <laughs> it sounds like a German word for, you know, like schadenfreude or something, a German word for some horrible human emotion, waffle masher with an umlaut over the A and an M-A-S-C-H-E-R, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Like like you're crushing some young person's dreams. You're mashing their waffles. <laughs> As opposed to a waffle, a waffle masher. Just anybody who sacked Danny Werfel. Right. I figured that's where you were going. When I was out today, our son was getting his haircut at like a kid's haircut place. And they, one of the things that you could buy there was a presidential placemat that had all the president's pictures on there. And of course, it was up through the, the current administration. But I was over there looking at it, and it really, really struck me when you see all the little heads of these presidents that if you said to somebody, you know, all right, I want you to find you know, the most attractive president we've ever had. It's not a collection of fine-looking men, for the most part. How many presidents have we had? What's uh, what's the current 45. one? 45. But it is a collection of men. It is. Well, yes, it's a collection of 44 white men and then President Obama. But it is also, um, it's not the finest looking of, uh, of the American who, who, who? <laughs> not the electorate. What are what are the actual elected? Who, do you think, who, who was, in your estimation, having looked at the placement, the hottest pre nineteen hundreds president? Pre nineteen hundreds. Millard Fillmore. I don't remember which president, but there was one president that the, his picture was in profile, and he had a thick beard. But I was like, I bet he was an okay looking guy. Every other one was. Um, not particularly so. <laughs> William Henry Harrison? It wasn't him. I think it was a two-named president, not a three-named president. I don't remember. Maybe Millard Fillmore. But uh, but yeah, anyway, I challenge anyone out there, the next time they have a placemat in front of them where they can look at all the presidents up to whatever president is on their placemat, whether it's George W. Bush or the current president, to uh, to find the finest looking president of the bunch. Speaking of William Henry Harrison, and I had no intention of speaking of William Henry Harrison, George Harrison, I was listening to songs on shuffle today, and a Beatles song came up. Now, George Harrison was the quiet Beatle, but he wrote, you know, three or four of the Beatles' biggest hits. He wrote Here Comes the Sun and Something and While My Guitar Gently Weeps and Taxman, a song that I've never listened much to, 
um, off of Revolver, Love to You. And, and it, I heard lyrics for the first time, really. Each day just goes so fast, I turn around its past. A lifetime is so short, a new one can't be bought. And the next song that came up was a Paul Simon song where he talked about uh, the decades floating by. And I thought, am I having a, a some kind of crisis of, of the time flying by? Or am I getting a sign or something? Because that's always in my head as it is. Does, do you, are you conscious of the passage, passage of time on a daily basis? Well, because um, you've talked about this before, that sometimes the, a song will come on and it's the soundtrack of whatever you were doing. You know, what were you doing? Was this the soundtrack? I was editing my book. Well, that's that would explain it right there. Your your book is about what a decade or two decades yeah, actually, of yes. your of your childhood and how, you know, how quickly kind of that went by in hindsight. So there you go. It was it, the soundtrack of your life. It also made me think how much I love George Harrison. I had just finished reading uh, Eric Idle of Monty Python's autobiography or as he calls it his sort of biography and he was best friends with George Harrison. And um, you know, when George Harrison talks about the passing of life, um, people may know George Harrison was stabbed very nearly to death in his home. His his wife Olivia came to his rescue and was beating his assailant with a like a candelabra. Guy required twenty two stitches. This this armed hand to hand combat went on for like fifteen minutes, and when a nearly fatally stabbed George Harrison was being uh, wheeled out, stretchered out of the house. Uh, by EMTs late on a Friday or Saturday night, two members of his housekeeping staff, who he hadn't yet met, who had just been hired, were of there. George Harrison's of George housekeeping Harrison's, staff? Were there in the stairs or in the hall, and George Harrison had the energy to say to them, how do you like the job so far? <laughs> Covered in blood. Now, repeat again the lyric um, of his that you mentioned. The, the lyric from Love You Too, it goes, uh, well, I mean, these aren't consecutive. Right. Each day just goes so fast. I turn around, it's past. A lifetime is so short, a new one can't be bought. I've read that he wrote that song for Patty Boyd, which I don't know if you know Patty Boyd. Many listeners, I'm sure, will. Was married to George Harrison and then later was married to uh, Eric Clapton. She was an English model. And George Harrison also wrote something for her. And then Eric Clapton wrote Layla and Wonderful Tonight for her. Probably the most inspiring muse in, in rock and roll history. Without question. Well, th- we don't hear those kind of lyrics. At least I didn't hear those kind of lyrics today as I was driving our oldest to basketball practice and she was playing her playlist, including a song by Ariana Grande called Break Free by Ariana Grande and Zed. And this is the lyric that she said, now that I've become who I really are, she says it more than once, now that I've become who I really are. Well, perhaps she's discovered I, multiple personalities. I don't care how desperately you need to rhyme something. You're not allowed to, in your song, have the lyric, now that I've become who I really are. Well, she is the equal. She's become equal to the Beatles and, and songwriting prowess because she is the first artist since the Beatles in 1964 to hold down the number one, two, and three spots on the Billboard Hot 100. Our daughter informed me of this this morning. It's true. And um, I think that puts her on par with the Fab Four. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she could have gotten away with it if she had said, now that I've become who I really are, and followed it up with Iana Grande. But she didn't. She just left it there. Well, you know, just takes me back to the last time to George Harrison and Eric Idle and uh, Dinosaur Rock. Eric Idle mentioned 
attending the wedding of David Bowie to the model Iman. Mm-hmm. And uh, in just a casual aside in this book, he mentions that the guest, li- guest list included Ono, Eno, and Bono. <laughs> you mentioned President's Day. We've completely skipped over Valentine's Day. And I know people. some people contacted me on Twitter and said uh, to ask if I was going to get you Truffles. Uh, truffles. Yeah. Knowing that you can't stand truffles. Um, so I didn't, of course. I got you what you love, dark chocolate. Now, it's not that I can't stand truffles. I just don't like what truffles stand for, which is me telling you I don't like truffles and you continuing to not get me truffles. So to, in my brain, truffles stand for you completely not listening to me when I tell you something. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. <laughs> you didn't get me truffles. I didn't you get got you me truffles. Dark chocolate, which I like. And you got me Nut clusters. I got you. Which I've never expressed the remotest <laughs> desire to have. And but, in fact, if I did have nut clusters, I'd see a doctor. <laughs> Weren't they great? I got you nut clusters because as I was getting the kids, uh, not Halloween, as I was getting the kids Valentine's candy and getting your candy, I said, which one of these would I like the most? And I would most like the nut clusters. And I was pretty confident you wouldn't get me nut clusters, even though that's that. Those are my favorite Valentine's candies. Um, so you 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 they did are? you did well. You did well. I do like very much like Munson's dark chocolate, and that's what you got me. You mentioned that nut clusters, nuts and chewies, as N- you put it, nuts were your mother's chewies. favorite Valentine's yeah. candy. I like Not nuts yours. and chewies too. But yes, but so did my mom. But no, you you did well, and um, it worked. It's worked out well because I I had some of your. Um, candy, and you had some of mine. So. I have to say, the the line at the aforementioned chocolate place. Well, was when did epic. you go? There was a there was a velvet rope line, and they had uh, Valentine's Week hours posted on there. I I went a good twelve hours in advance of Valentine's Day. Well, nine hours in advance of the official Valentine's Day, but a good eighteen hours in advance of me having to to deliver present the, kids. the gift. That that was, you were better off than. <laughs> After I dropped the kids off at school on Valentine's Day, I went to the grocery store and it was full of men. And, and there are not usually this many men in the grocery store and it was predominantly men. And these poor souls, they were all in the area that was selling um, flowers and chocolate. And my favorite um, experience was as I was leaving the grocery store, there was a 30-ish year old guy with his, I'd say, two or three year old son and he's looking um, at the flowers and he's got candy in his hand. And I was just thinking he's passing down to his son the idea that you buy flowers and candy at the grocery store the morning of Valentine's Day to give to, I presume, the little boy's mom. But really, so, what difference does it make when you bought them? Well, the things are kind of, or, you know, or it, where? it doesn't matter. It or absolutely where? doesn't matter. Or but, where you bought But them. that's showing you zero Zero thought until the day of the holiday. Like what, what joy would it morning, give you that that the person suffered for for the gift? Suffered? What are you talking about? He, he there's a German word for that: joy in other people suffering to provide you a gift. It's called Waffelschmasher. <laughs> I don't. There there should be no suffering. You should just plan a little bit and get your Valentine's Day gift farther in advance than that morning. That's all. Fair enough. Well, once again, on the Tuesday that we record this, the kids are home from school. This time, not a snow day, but they get the lengthy February vacation. They get Monday and Tuesday off. So while we keep them at bay for a little while longer, it is time to, yes, already get into viewer mail. Big bad book, 
grow our lure, reel us in with your pure mail. Shall we begin? This one becomes from uh, comes into our Gmail account. That's ballandchainpod at gmail.com. And it's from Margaret and Rebecca. It's for you. Rebecca, when calling a basketball game, is it ever hard for you to separate the fan in you from the commentator? Is this something you've had to work on over time? And conversely, whenever you're able to watch a game you are not working, is it difficult for you to enjoy the game purely as a fan and not slip into work mode, analyzing the game at some level in your head? I don't know which one of those questions I'm answering. Well, I can answer the second part first. When you're watching a game on TV at home, not working, you are analyzing the game not only in your head, but in my head and everybody else's head. You definitely are analyzing the game as you're watching it. Well, I don't don't think there's any college or pro teams now that I actually watch as a fan. Which is kind no, of no, sad, but it's mean, also nice. No, as a fan of basketball. No, no, no. No, I'm just saying as a like fan, I don't ride or die with any team. I don't get all excited if somebody loses. I don't get depressed if anyone, or I don't get excited if somebody wins. I don't get, you know, bummed out if somebody loses. And that's, I think, the downside of the job that I do is like, I don't have emotions for any pro or college team. I get excited when I watch you know, if there's a high school team I root for, or if even, you know, if one of our kids are playing, obviously, and I'm rooting for them and their team, but I don't feel anymore like I have this huge vested, you know, ride or die feeling with any team out there. Side note, uh, Margaret's husband and she have moved to uh, Cape Cod year round after having spent over 20 summers there. Rumor has it, Rebecca, that you have been known to shoot hoops on the courts behind the blank on occasion. Is that true? That I've been known to shoot hoops where? On basketball courts that she names that I'm not going to name. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Sometimes um, if we're looking for stuff to do, our kids are looking for stuff to do, there's there's some great outdoor basketball courts in all different parts of the country. And, and we frequent uh, In this one in particular, we like to go and shoot. Okay, this one comes to Gmail. Uh, it's from George, my monocle and croaky dealer. And he says, Rebecca, Stuart... The monocular minion is an example of how a monocle and a croquis might be used together. I mentioned last week that I was going to wear my monocle and my croquis together. And in fact, he encloses a photograph of um, Stuart, the minion with one eye in the center and a monocle on that eye and a strap around the monocle. So the monocle and the croquis can be worn together. And Stuart, the the monocular minion, as George puts it, is that avatar. I need to... Get that picture and post it. I'll post it on our Instagram account, which is at Ball and Chain Podcast, so that people can see the minion that they're referring to. Justin writes, Rebecca, uh, players' reluctance to heave meaningless buzzer beaters shouldn't be that selfish. You mentioned last week you don't like it when players refuse to to throw up a half-court shot at the buzzer Correct. at the end of a quarter or at the end of a half right. to preserve their, their shooting percentage. It shouldn't be considered selfish, as you lamented. According to the NCAA Statistician's Manual, those shots only count toward a player's shooting percentage if the player makes the shot. And it's not hidden in the manual either. It's Section 1, Article 1. I copied the ruling below. I hope this makes me the show's resident statistician, Justin, in Pennsylvania. It does make you the resident statistician. Uh, if you read this on the podcast, please send me some swag. We'll send it to you. But only if you do like a long shot. I only want I want to earn it only if it goes in. Love the show. My wife and I are loyal listeners. And... Um, in fact, he does enclose Section 1, Article 1 from the 
NCAA statistician's manual. I'm, I'm shocked and, and appalled that you don't know this, Rebecca. Well, I would have to check the WNBA statisticians, statisticians we, we manual. We weren't talking specifically about the WNBA. No, we talked about both. I said college and WNBA. Because I have to say, I've read much of the rule book, but I've never read the statistic, statisticians manual. That's a hard word to say. But I am interested to know if it's the same thing well, uh, in the WNBA. And you- hold on one second. And isn't Mark Simon already our resident statistician? In Pennsylvania, no, no less. So, uh, so maybe we Justin can have Justin as our co- as our resident statistician in in his part of Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, section one, Article one says a field goal attempt is not charged if the player is fouled in the act of shooting. Sure, if before the ball is in flight and the goal is not made, a field goal is not charged if there's an offensive goaltending or offensive basket interference on that shot. And Justin bold faces and and uh, italicizes this for us. A field goal is not charged. Uh, if an unsuccessful shot is taken near the expiration of time for a period or for the shot clock, and it is the statistician's opinion that the shot was a desperation shot and not a reasonable attempt to make a field goal. Well, it's interesting, too, sort of the um, the leeway that some statistic- statisticians are given. Um, for example, I was watching a, a women's college basketball game. This is a few months ago, and I'd seen in the team's game notes that, uh, you know, they'd set a record that, I don't know, it was something like 14 of their 14 field goals made in, a, in whatever quarter it was were all assisted. And I had read those notes before I watched the replay of the game. And as I was watching the replay of the game, there was one kind of fast break where a player caught the ball at half court, dribbled in and scored. And I was thinking, well, that's an unassisted basket. So you just wonder sometimes, you know, how much freedom a statistician is given to... Uh, to play with these numbers. But it also raises a philosophical conundrum, if I may. How can uh, a shot attempt be an attempt if it goes in? But if it doesn't go in, it was not a shot attempt. It's the exact same act. You're anyway. talking about like at the end of a... End yes, a exactly what he's shot. talking about. Yeah, I don't know. Well, there's no answer. Okay. Chuck sends us a photograph of the service animal area at Atlanta Airport. He couldn't resist sending the picture when in Atlanta Airport today... And what's interesting about this photograph, I didn't realize this, the, the service animal area, as it says, is behind a glass door with, a, with an icon of, a, of like a schnauzer on it. Are they usually behind a glass sort of office door? No, the ones I've seen are completely out in the open. This one, God knows what's going on in that service animal area, but this one is behind a closed door. It almost looks like a, like a medical facility, but instead of like having a, a white cross as the icon, it has a white schnauzer on a blue background. So we've, we've used Waffle Smasher and Schnauzer in the same podcast. Funny that you mention our official statistician, Mark Simon, um, and, I, and I'm appalled because he actually signs his email, Mark Simon, official statistician of the Ball and Chain podcast, and one of the broadcasters for the regular season champion, both genders, DeSales Bulldogs. And there's a reason he signs it that way. Because his, uh, his email reads thusly, Greetings to my favorite podcasters and storytellers. This week is Division Three Basketball Conference Championship Week, my favorite week of winter. All across the country, Mark writes, hundreds of student-athletes are playing for championships in leagues most have never heard of. The NESCAC, Landmark League, and the SCIAC, to name a few. There are almost no pro basketball aspirations here, no early entries to the draft. They are playing strictly for love of the game. I've covered slash broadcast Division Three games for more than 20 years, including seven women's Final Fours, and the games are just as intense and just as fun as Division One. My question, do each of you have a favorite college basketball anecdote or experience from outside of Division One? Rebecca. 
Um, mine would be, I don't remember how many years ago, it was two or three years ago, and they held the Division Three National Championship in the same city where the Final Four, the Women's Division One Final Four was being held. And Tufts was playing for the National Championship, and Tufts is coached by my former UConn teammate, Carla Berube. And um, I actually purchased a from the Tufts bookstore, which puts me now on forever on their um, email list. A jumbos. What's that? A bagel guillotine. They're uh, the jumbos, the purple. They're purple, I think. Elephants. Yeah. So anyway, I bought myself a T-shirt. Went to the game. Was cheering like crazy. They did not end up winning. But um, as we, you know, revisit the last time I was cheering and really caring if a team won, it was in that national championship game when I was cheering for the Tufts jumbos or the Tufts whatever they are, the jumbos. My favorite. When I met Flip Saunders as a kid. Um, he was coach of the Golden Valley Lutheran College Junior College team, and I was a frequent uh, attendee at Normandale Junior College, the junior college um, by my house, games there. And Golden Valley was, I think they were some, they won something like 56 consecutive games at home during that time, and they had a guy, Nelson Johnson, the human eraser, who was a shot-blocking machine. And, um, and those games were as exciting as any games I'd ever attended. You could sit up close. And in fact, I was at Normandale Community College on the night that um, when it was announced that the U.S. hockey team had beaten the Soviet Union at, in 19, uh, at Lake Placid in 1980. Yes. So that's a great basketball memory and hockey memory in one. We've got some on our Twitter feed as well. That's at Ball and Chain Pod. And this is from our resident educator. It says, new gift idea. And... It's a picture of a shower margarita machine, and it's a margarita machine that you put in your shower, and so that while you're bathing, it, the, the, it's like a hose, and it goes directly into your mouth. The margarita is in a container that's hanging in the shower, and it says, nothing says good, clean, fun like sucking on a tasty margarita while you bathe. This revolutionary new shower margarita machine with hands-free design, lets you drink up while you lather up. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful that idea? That sounds like a torture device, like you're being margarita-boarded in the shower. It pretty much does. And we also... Uh, it sounds like a tequila team. <laughs> we asked the question last week, If is a professional athlete the only job where people buy a ticket and then heckle or boo you? And um, we had a few people respond to that. One person said, TV weather person. And... You know, people don't really buy a ticket, though, to see the TV weather person, but they do like to heckle or boo. This one was 100% on. This is from Peter. He said, comedians. So, of course, people... Stand-up comic. Yeah, stand-up comic. People will buy a ticket just so they can boo. Politicians, you're not really buying a ticket, but you'll boo them. And um, he said, even some speakers. And that's true. Sometimes you pay to see a speaker, uh, and then you end up booing them. But I thought... I was booed when I was the commencement speaker at Marquette. Were you? Yeah. What did you say to get people to boo you? Pretty much everything. No, I I made some um, derogatory allusion to the University of Wisconsin, uh, probably forgetting that many in attendance had uh, siblings, parents, or other relatives in attendance who attended the University of Wisconsin. were you getting booed, or was the reference to the University of Wisconsin? Wisconsin was getting booed, not you. No, I was in a a, uh, full uh, Bradley Center arena, and and the, uh, the boos... I very much felt were directed at me. It didn't bother me. Um, in fact, I was probably asking for it, but um, they weren't directed at, at Wisconsin, no. Okay, all right. Well, good to know. Um, I, felt, I felt a great wellspring of a waffle smasher. <laughs> I, we also, I also had said that um, 
You know, I didn't think I could have married. It would have been a deal breaker. I could not have married someone who had a horrible jump shot. And um, Deb replied and said, I'm afraid I married someone who never played organized competitive basketball. And then she has three emojis of a, you know, thumb going downward. And it said, it's not going well. Dot, dot, dot. Well, how could <laughs> how it have could gone it? well? Uh, this is from Lori. Lori writes, for the lady who wanted to change seats in first class... A lady who wanted to change seats and and move you to the bulkhead, I believe. No, move somebody else. Move somebody and, else and the, to the bulkhead. And the woman who was requesting yes. the change had all kinds of attitude. For the lady who wanted to change seats in first class, why didn't her travel mate offer to change seats so that the two of them were in the front seat together? Seems reasonable. I would just say because my naive correspondent, nobody who uh, wants to change seats ever wants to change into a worse seat, even though it puts them with their traveling companion. Am I wrong? Yeah, they don't want a less pleasant uh, traveling position. Um, this is another... She, she writes, kids fit in front seats, so Will Smith could have offered the same. Did he... Was that a bulkhead situation with Will Smith? For me, it was, but, you know, it didn't matter. I, um, I, I didn't mind at all. I think it's been many years since Will Smith has uh, offered to take the bulkhead. Right, right. Here, here's another one as it relates to, um, you know, I couldn't have married somebody who had a broken jump shot. Uh, this is from Roger. And Roger said, I did... I'm a big believer that spouses should sh- should share some interests, but also should have others they don't share. Doing everything together all the time will drive you insane. However, my daughter has a great shot. <laughs> so he did not marry someone with a good jump shot. What do you think? Spouses should share some interests, but also should have others they don't share. Doing everything together all the time will drive you insane. I completely agree with that. What do you think? I, I don't know that we do anything together, do we? Well, we're both in the house a lot at the same time. But we don't share. We don't go. I, I, so, I went ice skating this afternoon with, with the kids. You don't ice skate. Right. And and if there were to be a deal breaker, that would probably be it for me. Um, somebody who can't ice skate. And I yet, can ice can. skate. I just don't like to ice skate. You're, you're, because you're, I'm not good at ice skating. And if you fall, for me, that's a really long way to go to hit a very hard surface. I don't like being cold. And so... Ice skating just is not a good combination of things for me. You are a spectacle be- to behold on ice skates, though. What am I? Like Fletch, about 6'7 on my ice yes, skates? Yes, you are. Um, not to mention the hat with the, with the pom-pom on top when you're out there skating. Um, Myra, our resident librarian, it's good to hear from our resident librarian, writes, Hi, Steve. I've been wondering about something for a while and I'm finally getting around to asking. No one in my family had a stingray or similar to your family, more likely a knockoff. But they were around in our neighborhood. I remember the single speeds were okay, but the really cool ones were the five speeds with a dangerously located giant shift lever on the top tube. Did you and your buddies make a distinction between different Stingray models? Of course, in my book, Stingray Afternoons, uh, Stingray Schwinn Stingrays were the envy of every eight-year-old in the 1970s who wanted to emulate Evil Knievel. Uh, the single speed ones were, were awesome and uh, in super high esteem in my neighborhood. Um, but yes, those those uh, rarities with the five-speed uh, gear shift knob at crotch level, they were definitely of a higher order. But they were also um, uh, so ludicrously dangerous when you're trying to jump cordwood on your Stingray and being thrown from your banana seat onto that gear shift. So I was never envious. I was never wanting one of those. Um, it was bad enough to land on that on that top tube. I wonder if we, like your sister's an ER doctor and she can tell us some phenomenal stories whenever whenever we're with her. I'm wondering if we found an ER doctor of that era, how often they saw patients that were there as a result of that bike and that well, gear they shift. Def- they definitely saw plenty of patients as a result of kids jumping uh, ob- objects on their, on their uh, muscle bikes. 
but that particular gear shift was even then was that considered. was its own kind of guillotine it was this is from last week and I, I somehow got lost in the shuffle but Andy uh, in Connecticut writes dear Rebecca it was very gracious of you to give us a few minutes after last night's game this was a game at UConn it was uh, I assume this yes this was the South Carolina at UConn game it last was a long Monday two or three days for you I believe that's when you had flown round trip to San Francisco twice in that weekend or that yeah week. and then red-eyed back for that UConn game yep and we appreciate you taking the time so that's just a thanks. That yeah, nice. I met uh, I met him and his wife, and it was uh, Andy and Karen. Yeah, we had a nice little chat after the game. Good, and uh, and finally, do you have anything else? Do you have any other? Uh... Nope, that's okay, it for me. Well, we have we have one here, um, and I'm going to close the viewer mail with this. I don't believe we have a curiosity shop today. This is an abbreviated, mercifully abbreviated. I don't think any leave them wanting uh, leave them wanting more. I think it's usual, just the right length. Usually, we leave them wanting length. Less. And sometimes Denny has to use the guillotine and take things out. Right. Tonight or today, that's not the case. Well, that remains to be seen. But last week, you asked Kathy in California, our blind basketball fan, what what that was like. What the experience is like attending a game in person. Kathy had encountered you on a street corner waiting for an ambulance. Am I right? Waiting for my trainer oh, to drive me to the hospital. To drive you to a hospital during a UConn game. You know what? This actually reminds me of something because this story is from a week ago and you've already forgotten. And um, in the past week at some point, I said something about needing to, uh, oh, I need, I'm going to post that on our Ball and Chain Instagram account. And your response was, we have a Ball and Chain Instagram? And I said, yes. I mention it every single week. On the podcast, I believe that I've, at at Instagram we're at Ball and Chain Podcast. So anyway, I believe you, the first thing I said was, "We have a podcast." <laughs> you, yeah, you said we have a Ball and Chain Instagram account. I, have I a lot literally on my mind. mentioned that in every single one of our podcasts. Anyway, well, I will say this. Please I will say, continue. Let me say this on the topic of social media. Uh, I've made a concerted effort, end of 2018 into 2019, to any time I was had. Uh, time on my hands, usually in a school parking lot waiting to pick up the kids or something, instead of picking up my phone and gazing vacantly into its into its depths to pick up a book instead. So during that time, I've always had a book with me. And as a result, I've read something like nine or 10 books in 2019 alone. And, uh, and I feel more intellectually nourished from doing that than I have from a gazing into this is not meant to be an anti-endorsement no. of the ball and chain uh, Instagram account, and and that is without question to be applauded. Well, um, I'm not looking for applause. No, I know, but all I'm saying is this. So as words are coming out of my mouth, just like instead of looking at um, social media, you read a book. As words are coming out of my mouth, instead of listening to those words, what are you doing? I'm mentally, I'm mentally reading a book. Okay, because <laughs> you're definitely doing something. Okay, please finish. This is a lovely letter uh, that is sent I'm, to the Gmail account I'm, that I am aware of. I'm, so please I'm, go ahead and read it. When you're talking, I'm redressing you with my eyes. <laughs> you're right now. You're in a you're in a <laughs> black hoodie with the uh, drawstring cinched tight. So all I really see is like a a, a medieval knight. So are you, know, you covering in, yeah, my face just, with a kind of the, balaclava? The, uh, I'm seeing yes. I'm just seeing part of your your face because you're you're constantly <laughs> constantly. Uh, okay, just read the letter. Okay. But you know, it's like uh, it's like the close of a movie where where it just all fades to a tiny circle. I, I'm losing you. I'm losing you, 
as each passing day, I just get a smaller view of you. I wish people could see you with the the hoodie pulled up and just a, a part well, you know what? circle of Maybe your face. Maybe I'll take a picture of that and put it on our Instagram account. Oh, do we and- have one? <laughs> and I think all the men out there should know how much their significant other would like to hear. Whenever you're talking, I'm redressing you <laughs> with my eyes. Read well, the letter. It's, it's a variation on the old joke. I'm <laughs> dressing you with is. my eyes. Of okay. course. All right. Read the letter. This, this, do people do people remember what this letter is about? This is from Kathy, our uh, visually impaired basketball fan. Kathy writes, hi, Rebecca and Steve. So, you ask, how does a blind person experience a basketball game? Well, Rebecca was spot on. The sound of sneakers squeaking on the court is prominent, as is the bouncing of the ball on the wood floor. In the old days, there was more talking on the court than there is today. Would you concur with that, Rebecca? Yes, it's actually, we've talked about this, a conversation I had with Coach Oriyama, how how people don't talk and communicate on the floor as much as they used to. It's a huge part of basketball. People need to talk more. Well, Kathy specifically, Kathy with a C, no less, specifically remembers uh, the UConn teams from Tina Charles's day were particularly vocal. But here's how it works for me. I have a tiny amount of blurry peripheral vision in one eye, writes Kathy. No vision in the second eye. So I can tell when I'm going to walk into a wall or if there's a body in front of me. But I can only see details if what I'm looking at is an inch away from my eyeball. So I watch UConn basketball games on my iPhone with the phone pressed up against my face. When I went to the Cal-UConn game, that was at Berkeley, right? That was at Berkeley, yep. I went with a friend and my guide dog. The only thing I saw was what end of the court the play was at. So I knew when UConn had the ball and when Cal had the ball. Then when something happened, my friend would say, made or missed shot, an outside shot or inside shot. I kept the score in my head, and I have a good internal clock, so I had a good idea how much time there was in the quarter. But mostly, I get my cues from the crowd. The Cal game had great energy because Cal gave UConn all they could handle. So when Cal did something good, the crowd roared. When UConn did something good, they groaned. With all the cues, including those from my friend, I actually made a mental picture of what I thought happened on the court. I pictured Katie Lou hitting a three-point shot or Nafisha hitting a shot in a crowd under the basket. Nafisa. Nafisa. What did I say? Nafisha. Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I can't speak. I have no idea if my images match what actually happened, but I walked away thinking I just, quote, saw a basketball game. That's interesting because when, when you're reading a book or reading a novel... You do the same thing, don't you? You picture what this character looks like, yeah. and it doesn't really matter if you have a, a factually accurate depiction in your head, is it? Does it? No. You just you just conjure that image. Two points, adds Kathy. My guide dog stared at all the basketballs being bounced in warm-ups and had all she could do to not run on the court to play. And if I was in Holly's row, Holly Rose row, on an airplane, she'd take a picture of my guide dog sitting perfectly at my feet and not encroaching on anyone else's space. The caption would be, now that is a service dog. So Kathy gives us not only a fascinating picture into watching basketball as a blind person, but also gives us our Holly Rowe, not our, not our Holly Rowe minute, but what were we calling it last our week? Holly's Row. Holly's Row. And that's it. That's from Kathy, and that's it for Viewer Mail this week. And that's it for the podcast this week. So Tom, Dick, Harry, Play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. 
Six of us and the family pet live in its cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and ambiguous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.